Welcome one and all to the Veterans Radio Hour. It's our tribute to all of those who served our great nation's armed forces past and present and their tremendous accounts of heroic duty and bravery. With your host, Brigadier General Dave Grange. And now, coming to you live from our Veterans Center studio, here is General Dave. Good evening, October 27th, 2002, and tonight's show uh, is going to be a, it's going to be a good one. Department of Veterans Affairs today. It's really uh, an extension of two other veterans shows we've had in the past about disabled veterans and veterans medical care. A lot of dialogue, a lot of questions, a lot of concerns. And so we're going to do that tonight. We have three great. Uh, Guests, we have Dr. Robert Roswell, the Undersecretary for Health in the Department of Veterans Affairs. We have Dr. Joan Cummings, Network Director of Veterans Integrated Service Network Number 12, and we have uh, Mr. Michael Olson, the Director of Veterans Affairs Regional Office, right here in Chicago. And we'll be going into uh, some some questions, some dialogue on uh, the Veterans Affairs today momentarily. Let's go to Kenny first. Thank you, General Dave. And remember, this is the Veterans Radio Hour, and you are listening to us either on one of the radio stations near your home, where you can call in at 866-928-2329 and ask any question that you'd like, or on our website, veteransradiohour.com, and right up there on the right-hand side, click onto our chat room and go live with us chat-wise. General Dave. Okay, tonight's show will be dedicated to Command Sergeant Major Theodore Doble, otherwise known as Mr. Big Red One from the 1st Infantry Division. He's born in the United States of America, but went back with his parents to Poland in 1921. In Poland, he trained with the Polish military from 1931 to 1936, starting at the age of 16. And then he returned to the United States of America in 1937. He enlisted in the United States Army in 1938. In 1940, he joined the 26th Infantry Regiment, known as the Blue Spaders, part of the 1st Infantry Division, and served in that regiment until 1966. He landed in North Africa in November 1942 as a platoon guide but because of all the casualties his unit received, he became a platoon sergeant and then immediately a platoon leader. He was wounded in El Qatar in North Africa. He was wounded in Sicily, Omaha Beach, and Aachen in Germany. He was offered a battlefield commission, which he declined. He received four silver stars, five purple hearts. He was involved in three amphibious assaults and eight battle stars on his ribbons. He was awarded the Doughboy Award. This is only given to one person every year for his significant contributions to the infantry. He was the first non-commissioned officer in the Army to be promoted to the grade of Sergeant Major. He served continuously as Sergeant Major of the 26th Infantry for 25 years of his 31-year military service. He served as a Sergeant Major of the Corps of Cadets, the United States Military Academy, West Point, and he was selected as a Command Sergeant Major, the first Command Sergeant Major once that rank was established in the United States Army. Sergeant Major Doble died in Chicago in 1996. Here's today's Military Quote of the Day, brought to you with support from retired Lieutenant Colonel Dan Bogievich. 
The quote of the day is from Senator John McCain, Republican Arizona, former naval pilot who served 24 years, five of those years as a prisoner of war during the Vietnam War. Today, more than ever, he says, we must recognize the importance of service to our great country. The men and women of our military and the families that support them demonstrate every day the rewards of public service and the true meaning of citizen. Many troops have made the ultimate sacrifice in our battle against terrorism. And I fear many more will bear that burden as we continue to battle those who intend to do our nation harm. I salute those who serve and proudly continue to stand shoulder to shoulder with the men and women of our armed forces. Back to our guests in the studio tonight. First of all, uh, on the telephone from Washington, uh, we have with us Dr. Well, Robert, the Undersecretary for Health in the Department of Veterans Affairs. He heads the Veterans Health Administration, the nation's largest integrated health care system. The medical care budget is more than $22 billion, 180,000 health care professionals at 163 hospitals, 800 community and facility-based clinics, 135 nursing homes, uh, on and on and on. The nation's largest provider of graduate medical education. He served in active duty in the United States Army 1978 to 1980, and he's currently a colonel in the Army Reserve Medical Corps. Our other guest in studio is Dr. Joan Cummings. Uh, as I said earlier, she is the network director of the Veterans Integrated Service Network number 12 in the Chicago area. Uh, she was a uh, chief of inter uh, intermediate care service. She was the first chief of the hospice unit at the Heinz VA Hospital. She was appointed as associate chief of staff for extended care and geriatrics at the Heinz VA Hospital, appointing as director of the Heinz VA Hospital until the job she currently holds now. And our other guest in, in studio with us tonight is Mr. Michael Olson, director of Veterans Affairs Regional Office here in Chicago, Illinois serves uh, a clientele, a potential clientele of over a million veterans in the state of Illinois, uh, $28.5 million per month, a budget paid out to approximately 11,700 recipients of service in the Chicago area. He served the United States Navy as an AV, aviation electronics technician in Vietnam in 1967. So the first thing I'd like to do is, uh, is talk to um, uh, the, the guest here in the studio and ask two quick, uh, get two quick comments. And I would ask Dr. Cummins first, what significant, what significant uh, action uh, in, your, in your area of responsibility has occurred recently for VA? Well, it's, very, it's a great pleasure to be here. And I would tell you the one really significant thing is VA nationally, VHA is undergoing a process called CARES, which is looking at our capital assets and how do we realign them to enhance our services? Our area of Vision 12 was the pilot for that. We have finished that process and we've begun our implementation plan to put that into effect. This involves major reordering of our infrastructure, major construction, major upgrading of our services to veterans throughout the Chicago, Wisconsin, and, and Upper Peninsula of Michigan. So that's very exciting in our area. Approximately 300 million in construction to enhance services for veterans in the Chicago area as a result of the CARES process. Okay, I'm sure there'll be a lot of questions about that uh, from some of our listeners shortly. Uh, let me go to uh, Mr. Michael Olson. Uh, same question. Uh, I, I guess I would say uh, 
The most significant thing this year is uh, we have made uh, considerable progress in the uh, timeliness of processing claims for uh, service-connected disabilities and those kinds of things. Secretary Principi in his uh, confirmation speech uh, made that number one priority and we in Chicago have, uh, have significantly reduced the amount of time it takes for us to make decisions. Thank you, Michael. Uh, I'd like to, good evening, Dr. Roswell, you with us, sir? Yes, I am. Well, thank you very much for joining us tonight. We really appreciate it. My pleasure. Uh, let me start off tonight and ask uh, you a question as well, if you don't mind. Uh, I understand that enrollees for Veterans Affairs Healthcare has doubled since 1995, but the funding has gone up only 32% during that same period. And this, from what I understand, has created quite a ba backlog. What can well, what is being done to solve that challenge? Well, you're correct. The, uh, the number of veterans receiving care through the VA today is more than twice the number uh, just a few years ago. We're delighted with that because I think it re reflects the, uh, the high-quality care that's available through uh, a greatly expanded number of VA locations. But the demand is somewhat greater than what we're able to meet right now. And so we have implemented several processes to try to uh, expedite getting care uh, any veteran enrolling uh, in VA for care is screened to see if they have an urgent or emergent need for care. Obviously, those people are put at the head of the list and are seen immediately. Uh, we then have begun an effort to expand our primary care capacity, looking at ways to accommodate more veterans with the limited staff we do have available until such time as we can expand our staff. Uh, each of the regional directors around the country have uh, developed plans to work down a, a waiting list and uh, we're monitoring that on a regular basis and actually we're making very good progress towards reducing those waits. Does the uh, House Bill uh, 5250, uh, the Veterans Health Care Funding Guarantee Act for 2002, does that, does that uh, what's the status of that bill and does that solve part of this problem? Well it might solve part of the problem. Um, there is a Senate companion uh, to that bill that's uh, been introduced and that, that was a big hurdle to get over because uh, for a while there wasn't any accompanying Senate legislation. Essentially that bill would make VA funding mandatory. It would look at the number of veterans enrolled in VA care and then require the Congress to appropriate the dollars available for that. Uh, I think that that may be, uh, depending on how it's scored in the Congressional Budget Office and, and how it aligns with the uh, Congressional Budget Agreement, uh, it could be a way to move more dollars into VA health care. Uh, certainly, that's the real issue. Right now, we have more veterans who want care through the VA uh, than the dollars will permit. Now, I guess uh, if it's stalled a bit, I understand, but if concurrent receipt goes through, will that not uh, uh, cause even more problems on backlog? Well, it, it could uh, potentially cause some problems um, because um, there wouldn't be any offset. Uh, I, I think, though, that that, in fact, may be more of an impact on um, the, the backlog in claims processing. Um, well, it just, but it, it's cutting in the, to, uh, you know, the money, the medical disabled uh, pay, as well as the service pay. I mean, it's all, I guess it's all quite a challenge. It's all, all uh, a money issue to provide the quality. And then, the, you know, of course, on the contrary to that is that, uh, hey, we're talking about people, veterans sure. that uh, were either injured or and served. Um, and 
everybody's fighting for these dollars. Yeah, no, there's no question. I mean, they're all taxpayer dollars, and that's very important. The, uh, the disability payments made by the Department of Veterans Affairs are, in fact, an entitlement. They come out of mandatory spending, so uh, they're not in competition with the health care dollars. By the same token, the concurrent receipt, which uh, would, um, uh, would primarily affect the offset to the military retirement pay, which is not a part of the VA appropriation. So from a health care perspective, it shouldn't have a great impact, but as you uh, have correctly implied, it does uh, affect the, uh, the total congressional budget situation. Uh, it, would have, it would have an effect on uh, the claims processing that we deal with in, in my office. Uh, people now who are retired from the military and have a service-connected disability, uh, they either receive that and reduce their uh, their military retired pay or they get their full retired pay. If concurrent receipt came in, certainly more we would have to adjudicate more claims. More retired people would probably come in for um, claims for service-connected disabilities. So it would have a significant impact on, on the workload that we have to deal with. Yeah, Dr. Olson, uh, that, that was uh, that was Mike. Mike, uh, I mean, Dr. Roswell, that was Mike Olson. Right. No, I, I understand, and he's absolutely correct. Uh, I think the fact that that you would be able to draw both uh, retirement benefits and disability benefits would encourage people to make sure that any disabilities were fully uh, adjudicated through the Department of Veterans Affairs, uh, and, and it would. Uh, certainly increase the number of people seeking disability compensation, we believe, and that in turn would require some additional medical evaluation, but uh, should not directly affect the health care budget. We have a, a caller on a, on a line. I'd like to go to his question and get some of the people out, some of our citizens involved in this. Uh, I believe it's a Roy Dolgas. Roy, are you there? Yes, sir. What's your question, sir? My question is the... Uh VA uh, wants to provide quality care for veterans, but with the closing of a Lakeside VA hospital, I just don't think this is going to be uh, very fair to to these people. I think that it has to deal with Lakeside. Could you answer that, Dr. Cummings? I, uh, yes, I can indeed. Um, many of the veterans who are served at Lakeside actually live on the south side of Chicago. We are very cognizant of the fact that they've been going to Lakeside for many years. We are making a careful plan to move the inpatients to west side. The outpatient care will still stay there until we have plans for alternative care for the outpatient. So I believe given where the veterans live and the demographics that having both Northwestern and University of Illinois work together with our staff for the inpatient at Lakeside uh, to be moved to west side I think will handle those issues. It is a change but I think we'll be able to give the same high quality care they're receiving now. Now, I heard about this in a few uh, a few of the veterans functions I've attended, and and uh, part of the problem, uh, at least the perception of a problem, is that it's a break in a promise uh, of closing Lakeside. Uh, I don't know. Uh, you said there's an alternate means available. I, I think the issue of having two inpatient facilities within approximately five to six miles of each other over the years when we since 1995 have switched from being primarily an inpatient bed system into a health care system that's the change I think we are now more of an outpatient system outpatient care is where most people get their care um, I think that that's what we're moving to so I don't think this is a we've always said we needed a plan for the future in terms of providing quality care 
in the best place and the best means. Right. What happens to Lakeside? Uh, Lakeside actually will, the property will be used in what we call enhanced use. Enhanced use legislation is a new uh, piece came into being in the last couple of years. It allows us to lease the property, retain that income and revenue or services for VA use. We will be able to use that to enhance services not only just in Chicago, throughout northern Illinois and Wisconsin. So much of that income from the Lakeside property will be turned back into veteran services. Okay. Yeah, that's that's been a question uh, going around as well. Uh, we have an email question uh, from an Art uh, Heffelfinger in Montana, and and uh, he has some experience in VA hospitals uh, in that state and understands some of the situations that uh, veterans face. Uh, he says there's uh, occasionally intimidation and retaliation against those pursuing grievances, those veterans pursuing grievances by the hospital staff uh, at the, the the VA hospitals. And anybody care to answer that, or is that is that in fact true? Does that happen quite often to our veterans? Um, uh, we have actually set up for our area, and I believe this is true. Uh, Dr. Razo made a comment throughout the country. We have actually a grievance process that starts internally. And if there's a disagreement over treatment or necessary treatment, we then have an external process where they can get outside of the hospital and talk to someone else about that. We have used that actually, in my experience, in the last two years once in our three-state area. Um, so I think the process is there. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not aware of retaliation or problems with veterans, but I think there may be that fear. But this is something they're entitled to. Yeah, I think uh, more sp more specifically uh, that uh, they're relocated uh, to another location. They're referred to, to uh, uh, sometimes. Uh, well, one example, uh, uh, just relocated, uh, out of sight, out of mind. Uh, in other words, they're moved to another area. Have you heard this? Uh, I, I can't respond to that. I'm the benefit side of the house. <coughs> I mean, you're talking about a patient or an employee? Yeah, a patient. Yeah, a patient. A, a, a veteran patient that comes in, he has a grievance, and, and then sometimes he's uh, uh, referred to some other place or just kind of moved out of the way, uh, out of where he'd normally be served. Uh, the only time that I think that might happen is that, indeed, if someone has a disagreement with treatment, then often a second opinion is valid. And a second opinion often in terms to uh, ensure impartiality would be done at another VA hospital. So a second opinion might be done somewhere else, but I'm, I'm not aware of other than that. Okay, we have another email question here uh, about reservists not viewed as veterans at a hospital. And this is from Georgia, uh, something that they need 180 days active duty time before they can be seen. I've never heard that, is that true? Anybody? Dr. Roswell, are you with us? Yes, I am. Yeah, Let could you answer that uh, uh, email from Georgia, please? Sure, I'd be happy to address that. Uh, any veteran who has uh, been honorably discharged and has received the, the uh, military DD-214 uh, honorable discharge, or, or, or in some cases uh, even other than an honorable dis discharge, a general discharge, but uh, anyone in receipt of a DD-214 is eligible for VA health care and VA services. Uh, a reservist may not have spent a full 180 days on active duty and therefore may not receive a DD-214, in which case they would not be eligible for the full VA health care services. Uh, but, for example, during the Gulf War when uh, almost 17% of the force that served in the Gulf War 
uh, were reservists and National Guardsmen. Each and every one of those who served received a DD-214, and they're now fully eligible for VA health care. Yeah, that's a good question. That came from Sam in Georgia, and, and thank you very much. And, Doctor, thank you for, for answering that. Uh, we're going to go ahead and uh, go to Ken now and take a, a quick break. Good. This is a great program today. It's our eighth program. We want to thank you all for being a part of it. You know, you can leave a toll-free uh, message uh, for us at our business office, 800-591-0020. And, of course, on our website, you can always email us or join us right now on the chat room. We've got a lot of people chatting from all over, and that's great. I thank GIM Productions in Naperville for taking care of all that for us. Veterans Radio Hour is made possible through generous support of all individual founders, members, and corporate sponsors. Of course, we're always looking for a few more to help us out. And next week's show, wow, we're going to focus on monuments and memorials honoring the fallen American heroes and the Americans who have lost and left us. Now, that show is going to end up being with General Hellinger. He's going from the American Battles Monument Commission. We'll also have Jan Scruggs, founder and president of the Vietnam Veterans Memorial Fund. So you can write to our radio station uh, here in Downers Grove, primarily through the emails. We need to thank people like Carol Murphy and Mike Sparks and Mark Eli for doing all the research for us and keeping things up to date. Oh, we also need to thank Rocco's Pizzeria. Rocco's keeps sending us pizzas every week to help entertain some of our live audience. If you want to be a member of our live audience, please join on. Come on over. We'd be more than happy to have you here. I'm now going to break away uh, for our uh, commercial outline, and we'll be taking it to our radio stations. Stick with us on the Internet. We're going to keep streaming after our show as well. You're listening to the Veterans Hour on the Talk, 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 Talk Radio Network. The Veterans Hour now returns to full readiness on the TRN Talk Radio Network. The Veterans Hour proudly presents our military hero story of valor. Our hero story this week is about Sergeant William Say. Killed in action, Republic of Vietnam, 25 August 1968. He's from Beaverton, Alabama. He was a member of the 62nd Transportation Company Medium Truck 48th Transportation Group. His family was presented the Congressional Medal of Honor for his uh, actions in Vietnam by President Nixon. He was a driver on a resupply mission for a long, from Long Bin to Tay Ninh in Vietnam. He was ambushed by a reinforced battalion of North Vietnamese Army Infantry. This convoy was stopped in a kill zone by intense machine gun and rocket-propelled grenade fire, and Sergeant Say took up a defensive position near one of the trucks. He killed two enemy as they assaulted his position, and then through the uh, ambush zone, kill zone at 10 meters away. He killed a sniper in a tree 75 meters away right after that action. When the enemy threw a grenade under an ammo truck, he picked it up and threw it back at the enemy, killing four and saving the lives of his fellow troopers. Another grenade fell three meters from his position. He then left his covered position again, throwing a grenade back at the assaulting enemy. He was seriously wounded by small arms fire as he did so. 
Sergeant Say detected three enemy soldiers who had penetrated the position, assaulting his comrade's flank. With his right hand wounded, he fired his rifle with his left hand, killing them all, saving his fellow troopers again. He was eventually mortally wounded by a sniper's bullet. Sergeant Say's gallantry in action at the cost of his life has reflected great credit upon himself, his unit, and the United States Army. The Veterans Radio Hour salutes the Active Service Person of the Week, made possible through the support of Pabst Blue Ribbon Beer. As they say, PB Army, ASAP. Pabst Blue Ribbon Beer, available at your local retail outlet. We have two tonight. We have a Master Sergeant Carol Schinkels and her son, Airman First Class Casey Schinkels. Both are deployed from Grand Forks Air Force Base in North Dakota. They are in the Arabian Gulf region. We can't tell you the specific location. And they're with the 379th Expeditionary Service Squadron. It is one of the largest units deployed in the region. The wing has delivered over 250 million pounds of fuel in support of enduring freedom. Carol's husband, Master Sergeant David Schinkels, who just returned to the United States from a previous deployment on enduring freedom. So all three, all three of these American citizens serve their nation in the same North Dakota unit. Wow, double who on that one. A mother and a son. That's great. Okay, back to our back to our subject, back to our guests. I want to first go online uh, to is Carol online? No, it's an email. I'm sorry. We have an email from a Carol and uh, she's uh, asking about, is there a website that tells you where the VA hospitals are located in the country? Does anyone know? Yes, there is a website. It's www.va.gov. You can get on that website and you can drill down to VHA and you can find the uh, facilities, their addresses, where they're located, et cetera. So it's www.va.gov. Okay, great, thank you. And I want to go, we have a caller now, and that's, is it Art again? We just lost him. We lost Art. Yeah. Okay. But Dr. Roswell's back online Okay. With us. Uh, Dr. Roswell, yes. what would you tell the veterans that are listening tonight um, the most significant thing that you think has happened in this year, 2002, for their, in their benefit? I think that uh, there's a growing recognition uh, in Congress uh, and around the nation that the VA is providing quality care, addressing the comprehensive needs of veterans, but uh, the system is not adequately funded at present to meet the full demand for care. And I think the, um, the, the sense that the Congress has uh, in trying to resolve that and make sure that no promise is broken is probably the most exciting thing that's going on right now. Yeah, and I, and I understand just here in a, in a local Chicago area, and I know we're kind of focused at, for, for a city example in Chicago, but it's probably the same in some of the other metropolitan areas in the United States. And I, I'd like to go back to, to Dr. Cummings on uh, and what 2002 has happened for veterans. Well, I mentioned earlier the CARES process, and we were the pilot, and other visions are going through this now in the rest of the country. It's resulted in us, and we had a groundbreaking this week, with a new parking garage at Westside to enable veterans to get to us earlier. Mike Olson's going to have a same groundbreaking a new regional office at Westside to give one-stop shopping. At our Heinz facility, we're going to be groundbreaking for a new blind rehabilitation center and a new spinal cord injury center. These are things coming out of the CARES process in the VA. It's planning on how do we align our infrastructure with the needs of veterans and use that to enhance services. That to us is very exciting. 
Yeah, that, that is that is great. And a lot of times, uh, you know, we, we hear problems uh, for the Veterans Affairs, and I want to make sure in our program that we, we hear the good and the bad uh, as uh, there's a, a challenge that we have to take on and fix uh, for America's veterans. We do have Art Heffelfinger back on from Montana, and I believe he wants to be more specific on an earlier question that he could probably articulate much better than I can. Art, are you with us? I am, General. How are you this evening? I'm fine. Thank you for coming back. Would you like to ask our guest uh, the question in, in your words, please? Well, just a couple of things I wanted to clarify, and that's, first off, I don't ever mean to imply that this issue of retaliation is somehow VA-wide or even VISN-wide. Uh, people of the caliber of Dr. Roswell, a uh, graduate of the University of Oklahoma, an Army officer, uh, and I believe the doctor actually was uh, for five years head of the uh, Persian Gulf Coordinating Board, as a matter of fact. So I kind of came into contact with them twice around, Vietnam and Persia, Persian Gulf as well. We can document locally cases which we find very disturbing. A veteran stands up and gives public testimony before a legislative subcommittee, critical of the VA hospital. Three and a half hours later, almost to the minute, according to the date-to-time group and the record, the veteran has very negative remarks put into his medical file, which can impact negatively on a pending claim. Now, I find it a little difficult to believe, given the timing of this, that that action is somehow coincidental. And even if it's an isolated incident, as I suspect it was, it certainly conveys a certain tone or message to other veterans who would presume to stand up and voice their opinion of medical care problems as they might arise. We also see some similar things happening with the staff, at the staff level of the hospital, a case where a particular staff member may be very proactive, advocating for veterans, uh, comes in the next day and finds out he no longer has the office he had the day prior, his office is now at the reception desk or in the hallway in a folding chair. Now, is this retaliation? You know, the man is not fired. Uh, his pay grade is not downgraded. He's still at the VA hospital, but come on. <laughs> it, it really raises some questions, uh, some proprietary questions, that I would certainly encourage the hierarchy of the Veterans Administration to consider. Again, I do not maintain that these problems are widespread. God forbid, I hope not. But it sets a certain tone, as a tone that I'm sure people of the caliber of Dr. Roswell don't want to see propagated throughout the system. Well, I'm sure he doesn't. And Dr. Roswell, can you make a comment on that, please? Well, certainly uh, that's not the type of behavior that, that any of us would condone in the Department of Veterans Affairs. Uh, I think that, uh, you know, when we hear a report like that, it's, it's very chilling and it's something that needs to be fully investigated. We do need the specifics, and we'll look into that. Um, but let me assure uh, your listening audience that uh, the Department of Veterans Affairs uh, has one purpose and one purpose only, and that's to serve veterans and to do that in a way that honors their service to America. Uh, and certainly uh, any type of retaliation or, or any action that would uh, any way impede a veteran's choice is something that we simply will not tolerate. Yeah. And I, and I think that's the intent. Uh, there's no doubt about it. But if they're, you know, just like in any organization, civilian or military, uh, you have to police up the battlefield here and there every day. And, and I'm sure there's some some uh, some issues that do come up. And part of it's not maybe factual, but it's a perception of an issue, which uh, is very powerful in, in the moral domain, in the in the uh, you know psychological. Uh, factor comes comes through and, and really uh, uh, 
causes a veteran to say, hey, you know, I'm not being taken care of the way I thought I was or whatever the case may be. So a lot of it, I think, is also, is also a perception of that. Um, it's another issue about um, sometimes there is a problem with the diagnostic and the treatment of life-threatening conditions of, uh, of veterans that they're not seen right away and, and some issues happen because of that. Now, I've heard that on a previous show. Any, any comment on that? I can just kind of comment from our local area. We have, uh, there are waiting lists. Dr. Roswell alluded earlier to the fact that there are more veterans trying to see us than we have capacity for at this moment. But, I know, but in our, as, as Dr. Roswell mentioned and with us, when we put people on a waiting list to say you're going to get access to us at some time in the future, it's always done with the caveat that if you have an urgent problem or if you don't have medical care in the community now, then you come to our medical center and we'll take care of that. Many, many of the people we're seeing have care in the community, but they're coming to us because our benefits and our health care is recognized as excellent and we have a broader range of benefits than many of them do under, say, Medicare. Sure. But that caveat of, of medical urgency always jumps a waiting list is something we try and drive home to all of our clinics, all of our medical centers. Right. Okay. Good, good comeback. And, and the other one I'd like to, another question from the audience here is, is there a priority category for veterans to be seen? Recently, we've implemented a rule that uh, does give priority for scheduling of appointments, routine appointments, to veterans who are 50 percent uh, disabled by their military service, uh, what we call 50 percent service-connected or greater. Uh, and they do receive a priority in getting uh, scheduled appointments. Uh, however, the majority of care provided is based on medical need, as is required by the, the uh, legislation that was enacted in 1996 that implemented the new um, scheduling system for VA health care, what we call the eligibility reform legislation. So we're really uh, carrying out and delivering health care benefits the way the Congress has asked us uh, through the legislation they've enacted. Uh, but we also recognize that those veterans who have the greatest disability uh, deserve our respect and attention, and we are scheduling them on a priority basis. Okay. Thank you, sir. Kenny? Okay. Uh, now we have to uh, recognize the, some of our support, and, of course, our major contributor to the Veterans Radio Hour is McDonald's. So we'd like to present again tonight the McDonald's Veteran of the Week. Okay. Tonight we're going to honor Fred Dance is a McDonald's owner-operator with two restaurants in Moses Lake, Washington. He served four years in the Navy from 1959 to 1963. Fred served both here and abroad in South America. His most memorial experience, memorable experience, excuse me, was the opportunity to become an adult and see the world while in the Navy. When asked how his experience in the Navy has helped his helped him as a McDonald's owner-operator, Fred said that it taught him discipline and how to stretch the budget. Fred is proud to have been a McDonald's owner-operator for 40 years, starting with the company once he left the Navy. He is especially proud to develop the people who work with him. Hi, uh, she'll have a Happy Meal, and I'll have the Big Mac. Dad, when will I be old enough for a Big Mac? When you're in college. College. Now, when you register specially marked McDonald's gift certificates at youpromise.com, a portion of the value goes into a YouPromise account for a child's education. So, the more specially marked gift certificates you buy, the more you'll save for college. I want to be a doctor. Hello, gift certificates. Sign up for free and get the details at youpromise.com. We love to say who 
and active duty members of the United States military, a free dine-in dinner buffet plus beverage. This offer is also extended to members of the U.S. Reserves and National Guard. All they have to do is state their military status when coming through the order line that night of the event. And this is not a paid commercial. We're just recognizing people that do great things for our veterans. That's really that's an amazing thing. Yeah, that's that's wonderful. If, if you if you recall, uh, Outback did uh, did the uh, support for the for the people fighting in Afghanistan. Another great example of helping the veterans. We're back again, and and uh, we have an audience question I'd like to bring up. It's a it's more specific than some of the others, and uh, it's is diabetes. It's presumed by many that it's service related illness. If, if you're exposed to Agent Orange from service in Vietnam. Is that true or not? Uh, that is true. Uh, in the summer of uh, 2001, regulations were finalized that, uh, that allow us to pay service-connected disability compensation for people who have adult un onset diabetes if they were uh, in Vietnam and uh, presumed to have been exposed to Agent Orange. That includes any secondary conditions that might come as a result of adult ons onset diabetes. We've had uh, thousands of claims come in since that time, and uh, we work closely with the uh, hospital side of the house to get examinations that allow us to make those decisions. So for sure, uh, that is a presumed condition. Okay, uh, Joan? Yeah, uh, medically, that's very, very important. Adult onset diabetes is a very common disease in older individuals, and those individuals who are in Vietnam need to apply for the service-connected compensation. Um, this is a very common disease and can be very devastating. And and if they get that, that service connection, uh, the hospital side of the house can provide treatment. Um, medications, those kinds of things. So it's very important. Any veterans out there who were in Vietnam and have diabetes, haven't filed claims, they certainly should. Yeah, that's that's a that's a great uh, great question, and thank you for the for the answers. We appreciate it. There's a uh, from Joe from uh, Chicago. Uh, there's a question: Why don't they let veterans get service from regular hospitals instead of making them drive so far to get to a veterans? hospital. The VA was really established to provide health care services to individuals, many of them service-connected or disabled, and low income, as a way to provide those if individuals weren't getting it. Um, we have the most extensive and the most comprehensive health care system in any place in the world. Um, an individual is always free to get services in the community and, and if they wish, but the VA is there for those who need it. Um, we have clinics scattered across our system. We are trying to bring services as close to veterans as possible. 
but the the veteran is able to access us and, and use us if they wish to and need us. Okay, thank you, and I hope that answered Joe's uh, question right uh, here in Chicago. What I'd like to do, we have a few minutes left, and I'd like to have each of our guests take about a minute to give some advice from their experiences to America's veterans on uh, on VA tonight. Now, I'll start uh, I'll start off with Michael. If you'll go ahead and uh, take a minute, please. Um, <clears throat> my advice to veterans is uh, pay attention to <coughs> pay attention to what benefits are available. <coughs> Recognize that um, when you file a claim, it's your claim. Take an active interest in that claim. Provide medical documentation for uh, for any disabilities you're claiming. Work closely with veteran service organizations who represent you before us. That would be DAV, VFW, American Legion, Vietnam Veterans, and a whole host of others uh, who we, we work very closely with to make sure that, uh, that veterans who file claims uh, get good representation. Um, there was a talk early, there was some discussion earlier about grievances. Uh, service organizations, in fact, help to, to represent veterans before us so that any, any grievances get addressed early on in the uh, process. Okay, I want to go to uh, Dr. Cummings on uh, her wrap-up. My advice would really be a little bit of a follow-up with, with what Michael just said. Veterans need to stay active with their veterans group. They need to pay attention and try and work with VA and look at what's happening, access services as they need. They need to be <laughs> proponents for other veterans. So when other veterans that they may see have disabilities or problems, they need to help refer them to local facilities and a local VA. But I think my biggest advice is to try and use the VA as you need to and try and tell others and other veterans and other veterans' families about the VA. Okay, great. I, I do. I use Heinz. <laughs> okay, and, and, and finally, I'd like to go to the Undersecretary for Health and the Department of Veterans Affairs, Dr. Roswell. Sir, you have the last word. Well, thank you, General. Uh, it's been a pleasure to be here tonight. I would just like to remind all veterans everywhere that uh, the VA health care system, the Department of Veterans Affairs, has undergone some remarkable changes over the last several years. This is not your father's VA. It's a wonderful new health care system that's providing really comprehensive benefits. I would encourage veterans to call our nationwide toll-free number, 1-877-222-VETS. That's V-E-T-S, VETS. Uh, if they have any questions about benefits, about health care, uh, about services through the department, or visit the website, www.va.gov. But take a, take a moment. You owe it to yourself. Uh, your nation owes it to you as well to uh, understand what benefits are available through a wonderful Department of Veterans Affairs. And, and I agree with you, Annette. So thank you very much for that advice. Tonight in uh, studio and on the telephone with us, we had Dr. Robert Roswell, the Undersecretary for Health and Department of Veterans Affairs, Dr. Joan Cummings, Network Director of Veterans Integrated Service Network 12, and Michael Olson, Director of Veterans Affairs Regional Office here in Chicago. Kenny. Okay, we're going to stay live on the Internet for about 15 more minutes. Let's play a little of Kenny Thomas. with opposition when the only choices are stand or run
Yeah, that's a song from Kenny Thomas, one of our Black Hawk Down good buddies that was uh, on with us a little while ago. Yeah, Thurn Ranger, Ranger Bat, yeah. Columbus, Georgia. <laughs> Amazing guy. That was a great show we had. I, I was really glad to be a part of that. We're here right now talking about uh, a little bit more on the Internet. Those of you that stayed plugged in with us, continue on chatting with us. We've got a lot of chat room going on. Uh, Joe from Chicago was totally amazed, Dave, that you got to his <laughs> question so fast. Uh, so our chat master said to him, well, that's technology. Can you believe it? That's information warfare. That's it. The warfare has started. We're still going to be here now uh, live with Michael Olson and Dr. Joan Cummings and, of course, General Dave. We're going to just continue on on uh, what's going on with the veterans' health benefits. Okay. One question uh, that I've had myself and, and some of my buddies is, what's the difficulty in recruiting quality doctors? nurses, health care providers, and VA? None. No problem. <laughs> no, actually, we have, for some subspecialties like interventional radiologists or neurosurgeons, we have some problem. But we are very competitive, excellent benefits. We recruit physicians and nurses reasonably well. Not to say I'm not worried about RNs in the future as the country faces a shortage. But we are very competitive for health care providers. We get excellent folks. Now, and why are you competitive? Well, the, the federal government and the VA is, uh, for, for many things, especially internal medicine, general, you know, nursing, we are very competitive with benefits, um, with salary. Um, we give educational benefits um, throughout the VA, our leave structure, et cetera. We have some problems with some of the very highly subspecialized as I said, interventional radiology. But I have very little problem in my in my vision recruiting physicians and nurses. Well, that's, that's, that's For those very specialized, we do. But yeah. the general areas, no. Are they paid competitively? The RNs, and except for the subspecialized areas, yes. The average salary for an internist in the United States is a little, the average income in the private sector for an internist in the United States is actually a little lower than what the VA pays. Mm-hmm. Now, in, as I say, subspecialty areas, we have some problems. Uh -huh. Well, make me feel good for a moment, I think you can. Uh, I'm one of those originals from 1967 through 70 era veterans that uh, was stationed in Japan for a while. And I was trained first as an orthopedic technologist, then brought in as a PA, one of the first offered to warrant officer, etc. That's why I asked a question about quality. So yeah. I, uh, now I want to know... Uh, other PAs in the VA? Are you using a lot of them or no? You got it. We do. Okay. Um, and actually, we use them a lot in, in the surgical specialties. PAs, as, as you well know, work very closely with physicians and, and, and probably more in some of the surgical specialties than the medical. And we have quite a few PAs. Actually, one of the PAs in our area from Milwaukee is now the national advisor for VA for PAs. So we do use PAs. We use nurse practitioners. Uh, the VA is very advanced in the kinds of things it does in its healthcare. We're leaders in telemedicine. We do telemedicine incredibly well. Well, I'll tell you, I, you know, physician assistants, PAs, uh, are dear to my heart. You know, in special operating forces, units rely very heavily. Well, actually, all, all military units, but I've had a lot of experience with them in special ops forces, and they're excellent. 
I mean, they are phenomenal. And uh, for trauma wounds, uh, in combat, for day-to-day uh, -day care, back in the garrison areas, rear areas, they're, 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 they're a wonderful asset. Now, there's a lot of controversy in the military about the rank. And, uh, you know, for a while there, you know, whether you're a warrant officer, commission officer, we went through that for a while as well. But they, I, I agree exactly with you. They're, they're wonderful. Um, I'd like to go to Mike a minute. Just, Mike, um, can you just tell us a little bit about, and I, I didn't give you enough time to do that early on, uh, what your office does for veterans? Uh, I like to say we're the money people. Uh, we pay benefits. We pay financial benefits to, uh, to veterans, uh, some dependents, uh, primarily uh, service-connected compensation. <coughs> We also pay pension for veterans who served dur during a wartime period with at least 90 days of service. If their income is quite low, we will pay a pension. Uh, we pay uh, uh, compensation to uh, widows or widowers of, of veterans uh, who either die of a service-connected disability or were, uh, were killed in action. <coughs> uh, we pay education benefits. Uh, to veterans who served so that they can go to school uh, better themselves. Uh, we have a home, home loan program uh, that allows veterans to buy homes with, uh, with no down payment, a significant um, benefit to somebody who's just starting out. Uh, we have vocational re rehabilitation. Uh, it's a program that allows us to, uh, to, to help disabled veterans overcome those disabilities and get back in the workforce, a very, very important part of our program. Uh, in my estimation, the most important because it gets people back into the workforce, overcome the disabilities that, uh, that were caused um, by their military service. Mm -hmm. what, uh, a, what about this concurrent receipt and how are, how are you facing and dealing with all of that? And the uh, politics of it, apparently. Uh, we administer the laws as they're <laughs> as they're written. Uh, I don't. I certainly don't politic. Um, what we are what we are looking at is um, is hiring additional people nationwide in anticipation of an increased workload. Part of that coming from concurrent receipt, um, and we're also facing a. Um, a problem with uh, an aging workforce. Mm -hmm. uh, folks who who started about about the same time that I did and are about my age and and are are facing retirement. We need to have people who are well trained, know our business, to step in behind them to make sure there is no um, no degradation in service. So uh, we look ahead as much as we can. But it's Congress who passes laws that uh, that affect what kinds of benefits we pay and how we pay those. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I have a question uh, from one of our guests in the audience. Tom Rendell has a question. Go ahead, Tom. Yes, sir. I just wondered, with the arrival of the baby boom generation in the retirement bracket, do you predict that the use of VA facilities will go up or down? Are uh, you talking health care facilities? Health care facilities primarily, sure. <coughs> I think that depends upon what Congress does or doesn't do with Medicare. One of the major impetus that we're seeing now is folks that are going into the Medicare arena 
and Medicare has no prescription drug benefits, and many of those veterans are coming to us if they have disease that have significant medication. So what would happen to us, I believe, in that, in some respects, depends on what the country does, and as Mike said, what Congress does about benefits for those individuals who are non-veterans. VA currently has the best health care benefits of anybody. If Medicare improves its benefits, I believe that might change in some distance and ease of access how many people will use us. Uh, we predict, actually looking at our own actuarial planning model, because of the aging of the um, Vietnam veterans, that our need, that our demand for health care services will stay, even though total numbers of veterans may decline, because of the aging, we predict the need for services will go up. And we're expecting a slight increase in demand for services, uh, albeit though it might be more outpatient than inpatient. And then I guess a follow-up to that would be with the decreasing numbers of men and women who have served and a lower percentage of vets in Congress, uh, do you see any significant impact on, on VA medical facilities? Um, I always, I, much like Mike, I don't deal with what Congress does, um, and I think there may be, but in terms of the current veterans in decreasing numbers, we are still predicting an increase because of their age. So there will be an increase in need for services because the, the Vietnam veteran uh, population is now just going into its 60s. That's the highest use for men. So service needs may go up for the Vietnam group. Well, let me respond to that question. Um, I mentioned earlier having uh, veterans who are filing a claim work closely with service organizations. Uh, those service organizations represent veterans very, very well in Congress. In spite of the fact that there are uh, fewer numbers of veterans in Congress, uh, service organizations make very strong cases for uh, legislation that will support veterans and pay them for the service they provided to this country. Okay, good. Uh, thanks again. Uh, we're going to go ahead and close now. I want to thank uh, Michael Olson, again, a Director of Veterans Affairs Regional Office in Chicago. Dr. Joan Cummings, Network Director of Veterans Integrated Service Network 12. And thank, thank you both. Uh, I'm sure the veterans really appreciate your insight and, and, and advice. Okay, thank you. Who, uh, Kenny? Yeah, and for those of you that are streaming, and if you're having a little bit of problem with your buffer while you're streaming, I need you to just go to Warp Radio. That's probably who you're streaming with uh, on uh, your little box that pops up on that screen. WarpRadio.com. Uh, one of the guys there, Bubba or Q, are going to help you out. They're going to help you turn on to how you can buffer better and pick up the stream a lot more clear. And for all of us at Veterans Radio Hour, our executive producer, Lance Hack, our technical director, Lambert Matias. Oh, we can't forget about our funny uh, engineer back there. I don't know if he's got his voice on uh, anywhere around there. You there somewhere, Carl? Absolutely, yes, yeah. sir. Oh, no, no, that's Sergeant Grunt's back. <laughs> the Grunt has shown up. I thought we got rid of him. <laughs> yeah. And Mark Eli, of course, our webmaster, handling it all. This has been the Veterans Radio Hour, show number eight. Hey, we're out of here, Dave. All right. Good night. <laughs>